Welcome to the Healthy Hormones for Women podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Gladish, online nutritionist, weight loss coach, and hormone fixer-upper. I'm excited to bring you a weekly dose of information and inspiration, sharing with you simple and effective strategies from health, wealth, and all things personal growth. Get ready to become the master of your hormones and experience vibrant health to live a life of more power and possibility. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you guys are doing amazing. Before we dive into today's episode, I've got some stuff I want to share with you, some new products that I've been trying and absolutely loving, and just answering some questions that have come in. One of the questions that I got recently was about my newsletters and how do people stay in touch with me and what's going on in my community and the different programs that I launch or giveaways and all kinds of fun things that we do and recipe development and all kinds of fun stuff and any of our you know upcoming detox programs or things that we launch online, you can simply just sign up for our newsletter. So holisticwellness.ca forward slash newsletter. And you can head on over there if you'd like to sign up. We send out a weekly newsletter, just giving you a roundup of what's happening on the blog and different recipes we've been posting and different podcast interviews that have gone live and letting you in on different exclusive giveaways or online program launches. And speaking of recipes, did you guys try the sun butter bark, which is hands down one of my new favorite recipes. Just recently posted that up on the blog last week. So definitely check it out. It is so incredibly easy to make and so, so, so delicious. And you can make it Depending on your diet, you can make it very keto-friendly and paleo and gluten-free and all of that, dairy-free. So lots of great dietary preferences I took into account when making that recipe. And you just need a few simple ingredients and it's so, so good. And we've got some other recipes that have gone live on our blog, our Thai red curry chicken and some Instant Pot recipes. So lots of new stuff there. So definitely check it out. You can head on over to holisticwellness.ca, click on recipes and take a look around for all the deliciousness that we post. And of course, I always share recipes on my Instagram too. So you can head on over there at Holistic Wellness Foodie to check out different recipe posts. And now on to some supplements and some products that I've been trying recently, some new stuff. Well, one of these is not actually new. It's the Vital Proteins, the coffee creamer in coconut. It's my absolute favorite one. And I think it's just because given the time of year now and it's fall and I love making elixirs and it's just one of those amazing products that I love adding into either a smoothie or into one of my elixirs, like if I'm making a coffee or a dandy blend elixir or something like that. So the coconut creamer is my favorite one. There's a gingerbread flavor. There's also vanilla. And if you've used the vanilla one before, you might notice that it actually doesn't blend very well. At least that's what I've noticed. There's a lot of little chunks and specks that kind of hang around and it doesn't blend as well. But my favorite one is the coconut creamer and I find it does blend incredibly well. So you can give that one a try and I love to mix it in sometimes with my coffee. If I don't have like coconut milk on hand or almond milk or something like that, whatever you might use, the coconut creamer is an amazing replacement. And then it also has collagen in there as well. You get 10 grams of collagen. So you're getting the protein plus all the beautifying benefits of amazing collagen. But a new product that I have been trying is the Keto Nootropic. So this is a product from Perfect Keto. And I've been mixing it into just a little bit of water in the mornings before I head off to the gym. And it's really quite delicious. It actually kind of has a sort of like a chocolate flavor to it. And It also is really great for sort of powering your mind. So it's great for focus and for mental health and sort of like mental stamina. And I've been really, really liking it before the gym. And so it's great for cognitive performance. And you can add it into a smoothie. You can add it into some nut milk, or I just like to mix it into just some regular water. And I just drink a little bit before the gym. I don't even take a full dose of it, but I find that... It's really great for mental alertness and clarity and concentration. So it's really wonderful if you 
kind of feel like you need that extra support when it comes to maybe like work or something like that. I know I do spend a lot of time on my computer and I'm writing a lot and there's just a lot of creative output that goes out every day. So the Keto Nootropic is just a really nice addition to have in my sort of supplement repertoire of supplements I can reach to that are really going to help with mental focus. And it's just got a lot of great ingredients in there. Phosphatidylserine, which is great for neurological function. It has ginkgo biloba, which is basically been used in Chinese medicine for centuries, and it supports brain health and nerve cell function. It's got some alpha-lipoic acid, which is great for immune function. It has L-theanine, which can also be found in green tea. This supports memory and attention, and it's just got a lot of really amazing ingredients in there, one of them being alpha-GPC. And this is what's really great for supporting neurological function and nerve health as well. And so if you are in the U.S. and you're thinking you want to give it a try, you can head on over to perfectketo.com. You can use the coupon code HOLISTICWELLNESS at checkout and you will save 15% off. And if you're here in Canada, then head on over to purefeast.com and you can save 10% off your first three orders over $75 and same code holistic wellness. And you can also grab the vital proteins products as well as perfect keto over at purefeast.com. And another product that I've been using from Pure Feast, I started using this over the past about six weeks, is the adaptogenic blend from Anima Mundi Apothecary. Yes. So it's a new company, a company I'm newly just familiarizing myself with. And they are new to the Pure Feast site. And I always love checking out some new products that they have. And this adaptogenic blend, it's a tincture and it has a blend of seven mushrooms plus shisandra berry, which is amazing for hormonal health. And the mushroom blend is wonderful too because mushrooms are antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal, great for supporting the immune system. They modulate the immune system so they don't overstimulate the immune system. And I just really, really love it. And so I've been using this as my adaptogenic blend right now to support adrenals. And I do like to rotate through different supplements and try different supplements and, you know, try something for three, four months and then try something else for a few months and just kind of give my system a break from always being on the same thing and just playing around with different ingredients to see and products to see how I feel. And so really loving this one. You can find it on the Pure Feast site. And it is the Anima Mundi Apothecary Tonic. It's the Adaptogenic Tonic. So it's the Seven Mushroom Immortality Plus Shisandra Berry Blend. So you can find it on the Pure Feast site. And again, don't forget to use Holistic Wellness. Save 10% over on Pure Feast on your first three orders over $75. And that's what I'm using and I'm loving. And I just love to share these products with you guys, let you know what I've been using, what I'm liking, and even what I don't like. If there's questions that you have about products, let me know. And I can want to give you my honest opinion about what I like and what I don't like. And that's also very helpful too, right? It's not just always about what we like, but I really do love sharing what I'm including in my regimen and what I'm feeling really good on and what's working for me. All right. So today's episode, amazing guest. We dive into all things diet culture, which I think is such an important conversation to have because so many of us, women especially, are really caught up in the diet culture of counting calories and eating less, moving more, and really burning out our bodies and really not honoring our bodies in the best way possible. And it can get really overwhelming and very confusing. What diet do we follow? Losing weight, how are we supposed to look? And the self-sabotage that we go through with hating our bodies. And I think it's just such a great conversation to have. So I'm so excited that Steph really opens up and shares her journey through that and really managing the diet culture and the sort of negative self-talk in her own mind 
mind. And we dive into the core four pillars of health, according to Steph. And those include nutrition and exercise and energy and mindset. And Steph expands on that for us. And then we have a really fun topic that we dive into, which you will hear at the very end. It is called the fuck it list. Yes, the opposite of the bucket list, which I encourage everybody listening to start their own fuck it list. So with that said, let's dive into today's episode. Steph Godreau believes in helping women get stronger so they can live bigger. She's a certified holistic nutrition practitioner, strength and mindset coach, podcaster, and the author of the best-selling Performance Paleo Cookbook. Her recipes and expert advice has been featured in Self, Outside Magazine, L, and Greatest. Steph loves barbells, cats, and anything Lord of the Rings. She lives in San Diego with her husband and cat. So let's dive in to today's interview. Hi, Steph. It's so great to have you on the show. I'm really excited to dive into our conversation today. But before we do, please share with our audience more about you and what you do. Well, thanks for having me on. First of all, it's always really cool to sit down and chat with people about these topics and people who are passionate about it. I just love talking about this. So I'm happy for the opportunity. And oh, wow. In a nutshell, so I usually start by saying why I do what I do which is basically to help women get stronger and take up space so that they can use their voice in the world. And what I do looks different on a daily basis, but really I'm a holistic nutrition practitioner, a weightlifting coach, and a mindset coach. And I help women primarily in their day-to-day learn how to incorporate simple healthy habits to really create a sustainable approach to health and wellness So many of the women that come to my community and myself as well come from a background of dieting and restriction and exercise as punishment. And I have a really long story that I won't, you know, take up all the time with. But basically, I'm like a lot of women where I spent a lot of years being really unhappy with my body and not eating really well, not nourishing myself working out a lot, but not doing the things that made me feel really good. And I changed all that starting in 2010, little by little. And so I thought back to what I incorporated and I did a lot of things that were kind of 180 from what the rest of the world and in sort of media and magazines tell women to do. I started eating a lot more food (laughs) in general, right? I started eating more fat. I started eating more animal products. I sort of found the diet for me that worked the best for my body. And I started lifting weights, which is kind of counter to still what women are given as diet and nutrition or diet and exercise advice. So in 2013, I left my 12-year teaching career and started working on my website full-time And so here we are five years later, and I sort of get to basically teach people nutrition and fitness and mindset work and really a holistic way of looking at health. So I love my job. I love that I get to do what I do. It's really fun. That's amazing. Yes, I can totally relate. And I love your website, stupideasypaleo.com. And so I would love to start with having you expand on your core four pillars of health. And I know that this is numerous things, nutrition, exercise, energy, mindset, and if you can just expand on some of those pillars for us. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, again, my own personal journey to reclaiming my health and really becoming free from negativity and diet rules and all of that stuff started with food. And I think for a lot of people, that's kind of the on-ramp that they take to better health it's food, something we all have to eat. (laughs) We all are, we can cook, we can make it part of our culture. It's social. So food's a really important, tangible thing for a lot of people to start with. There are other on-ramps though. And so gradually when I thought back to my own journey that I took, yes, there was food, but then there was changing the way that I was approaching exercise and really looking at it from an aspect of strengthening rather than needing to lose X pounds. And so that was a huge shift. And then gradually as well, yes, thinking about, oh, sleep. Hmm, Yeah, I don't sleep very much, (laughs) sleeping five or six hours a night. And at the time being a teacher, that was really stressful. So how was I managing stress? And then gradually got to the point where I was really looking at my own 
self-limiting beliefs, the way I set goals for myself, the way I looked at the world, right? That's really what mindset is. It's like the perspective that you take and realizing that my own mindset was very fixed. And so in 2015, I decided to create a coaching program for other women because I kept getting lots and lots of questions through my website. How can I do this? Help me do this. It's obviously more than just recipes that it's going to take for me to go in another direction with my health. And so I created the harder to kill challenge, which is based on these four pillars. And so I call them the core four because yes, health and wellness is so much broader than even the things in this program. You know, it's your physical strength. It's your mental wellness. It's your emotional well-being. It's your spiritual strength. It's so many things. But when I boiled it down to these four areas, what I tended to find was women are really good at thinking about eat less, move more. But oftentimes we're missing a lot of what I call low-hanging fruit, right? Easy changes that we can make in these other areas or other ways of thinking about food. So let's take eat less as an example. Man, I had to eat less dialed down. I could eat, you know, that's like I was a professional at eating as little as possible. So I would eat like very, very little. I would you know, just like avoid all, all fat. I mean, I remember eating like, I'd go to Subway and they give you like two slices of avocado on a sandwich and I would like throw one slice away because I was so afraid of eating fat. And so for a lot of women that I work with, so this pillar is eat nourishing foods, which to a lot of people surprises them because they're like, oh, I thought you were going to tell me I have to eat paleo or, oh, I thought you were going to tell me I have to count my carbohydrates or I have to count my macros. And I think an awareness of Those things is important to talk about. But for me, a nourishing way of eating is not just what I eat, it's how I eat it. It's why I eat it, understanding my goals, my bio-individuality. And so there's a lot more there than just eat less. And so I'm trying to change that conversation with women. So the second pillar is strengthen your body. I really think people should do what they love, but I also know that there is a huge benefit for women when it comes to strength training. And just beyond aesthetics, you know, it's nice to look nice and feel comfortable in your body with how you look. But so many of us are facing osteoporosis, osteopenia, sarcopenia. And if we get to middle age, it's time to get on on board with that and start that process. So that's the second pillar. The third pillar is recharge your energy. And this has to do, of course, obviously with sleep. But Also with how are you managing your energy during the day? Are you getting enough sunlight during the day to help with your circadian rhythm? Are you getting adequate darkness in the evening to help you fall asleep at night because you're not pouring blue light into your eyes? And now that we have screens, we have to be more vigilant about that sort of thing. But also, you know, if you are working throughout the day, you ever take a break and really do something that's recharging for you if you do get that time. So I know a lot of people will just get on Instagram and scroll, 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 but they're coming off of a job maybe that's mentally very taxing for them. So that's really not a way to recharge. So can we do a little bit better there? And then of course, get your mindset right is the fourth pillar. So a lot of women that I work with have one or two of these things they're doing really well, but let's say, you know, they're really focused on their nutrition and they're like, I'm not getting the results that I want. What am I doing wrong? Maybe I should cut my carbs even less. You know, and so they're like constantly tweaking carbs and counting carbs. This is just one example. And so I'll say, well, tell me your your sleep routine. And they're like, oh, I don't have one. Or, you know, my sleep's very interrupted. There's a lot of these opportunities for people to introduce some new things. Gratitude is another example. How am I dealing with my stress? Do I have a stress practice? Do I know how to breathe so that I'm stopping the stress process? So I'm breathing more through my belly and diaphragmatic breathing. And a lot of these things are free. I mean, it's free to write down some things and do some gratitude. And there's a lot of research that backs these things up too. And so can we broaden the discussion? And no, you can't do everything. Nobody can do everything. But I look at it as an opportunity to help women identify areas that are easy wins for them instead of continuing to needle down and get lost in the details and get lost in those rabbit holes that we often do get lost in. Yeah, you brought up a lot of really great questions that I think we're not asking ourselves. 
And so I think it's important for women to take that time and to really ask themselves, like, that's a really important question. Do I have a stress management practice? And most of us don't. And most of us don't even realize how we're not breathing effectively, you know, especially like we're sitting at our desk all day, shoulders hunched over. Like I have to tune into that for myself too, as I'm sure you have to do for yourself as well. So it feels like you have gone through multiple transformations Hmm. and lots of your own personal growth. So I'm curious as to what has been some of the unpacking and the unlearning that you've had to do for yourself in order to reach, whether it's the next level, just in your life, in business, in your relationships. Yeah, I would, I mean, this is constantly going on and I love those two terms, right? The unlearning, we, we absorb so many things consciously, subconsciously, we're explicitly taught things and having awareness is a key first step. So some people call it mindfulness, awareness, whatever it is. It's just a practice of observing your own thoughts and behaviors. And as somebody who really, <laughs> I could get super sucked into negative self-talk and you know, I call it the brain drain where one negative thought leads to another negative thought leads to another negative thought. And before you know it, you've sat on the couch for three hours bawling your eyes out and thinking you're the worst human being on the planet. And you're like, oh, how did I even get here? And it's like that indulging in that train of negative thinking. So how did I even start stopping that? It's just being aware of my own thinking. So that was a huge step for me. And it's always a practice. It's like, you know, people go to yoga and they're very accepting of the fact that like yoga is a practice. Every day is going to feel different. Some days you might feel really good. Other days you might not. It is what it is. You know, everyone's like, oh yeah, okay, I get that. And then we're like, but why can't we just learn these things by now? And, you know, we tend to be very hard on ourselves. So for me, it's just been a practice of mindfulness. Another place people can uh, develop this and sort of like have it be something that they do every day is around eating. And so for me, this wasn't really a huge thing for myself personally, but for a lot of the women I work with, they're like, how can I learn to listen to my body? And I'm like, well, A, unless you're getting quiet every once in a while, if you keep distracting yourself with busyness, forget it. So you do need to have that time where it could be uncomfortable at first to sit with your thoughts in quiet, (laughs) you know, whatever that looks like for you. But mindfulness around eating, you know, are we slowing down? Are we chewing our food? Are we thinking of how it smells and looks on the plate? And I'm not saying it needs to look like it came out of a Michelin star restaurant, but like, are we having an appreciation for this? Are we tasting our food? Are we taking that time? And I think again, in the modern world, we're not so having some kind of mindfulness practice can really help people. But for me, it was one of the things that I learned from my, one of my coaches, which was like, just because you have a thought doesn't mean it's true or you have to follow that thought. And for me, for a long time, I would, you know, get a negative thought. I would like, I call it hooking in. I would like hook into the negative thought and I'd like go for a ride with this negative thinking. And it became an observing, a practice of observing those thoughts and going like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder where that came from. Or like, oh, okay, that thought was, oh, where'd that come from? All right, well, I can just decide to let it go by. I don't need to get all spun up about it. For me, that was really huge. Another thing that I've had to really unpack is my own perfectionism and where that comes from. And a lot of women that I work with, and I was too, I mean, so hard on ourselves. We are like so forgiving and loving of other people, especially like our closest friends and family oftentimes, and are so hard on ourselves for you failed and you did this. Like, why can't you keep going? And like, why can't you do this right? And, you know, we get into this, this zone of wanting to do everything perfect. And Renee Brown's writing was really helpful for me here as was Byron Katie, the book Loving What Is. And just having those moments where I realized that wanting to do things perfectly, whether in my personal life or my business, wasn't because it brought me joy. And it was that realization, that perfectionism. And like, I'm also an upholder. So if you know about Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies, yes. (laughs) So that means, yeah, I'm an upholder. I definitely experience upholder tightening. So Gretchen Rubin, the upholder tightening is like, 
you have this thing, you're going to do it and you're just going to keep doing it more and more and more. And for me, recognizing that that was my tendency to do things and they all have pros and cons along with the realization that perfectionism didn't actually bring me joy. It was and is a way to protect myself, right? Because it's kind of like, I think Brene Brown calls it like a shield. I think of it like putting on armor, which is like, I'm just going to be so perfect that you can't not like me, you know, like I'm not going to give you a reason to criticize me or pick me apart or whatever it is. So it really working on my perfectionism has been huge and just being aware of a lot of my limiting stories also around business. I grew up in a household where there wasn't a lot of money and money. That's still a story that I'm working on unpacking and unlearning is like the scarcity of money and like financially I'm okay. You know, we're fine. But at the same time, like bills will come in and I'll freak out. (laughs) And every month I catch myself, I'm like, Oh, I don't even want to look at my bank account. And I'm like, okay, what is this all about? Where is this coming from? So I think we all have our things and it's a willingness though to continue to look at those things when they get uncomfortable and they will be uncomfortable if you're committed to unlearning the things you learned about diet culture or about money or about your relationships or whatever it is. It's like a commitment to show up and continually work on those things and understand them and continue to dismantle them for yourself. Have you worked with different coaches? Oh yeah. I've had different coaches along the way for sure. And they've all been really helpful for me. So I think it's, you know, as a coach, it's important to be like, Hey, coaches have coaches too. Absolutely. (laughs) Or therapists or whatever, you know, it's important sometimes to have that. I don't necessarily want to say neutral third party, but somebody in your life who's maybe not your friends or closest friends or family to just talk to and get that stuff off your chest. It's really important. Yeah, absolutely. I have my own coach as well. And I always see it as somebody who can see your blind spots because how many times do you get into the cycle of self-sabotage or overwhelm or overworking? And it's really hard to pull yourself out of that. So for me, it's like having that accountability of showing up to my coaching call on being like, here's what I did last week. And here's how the overwhelm showed up. And here's how the overworking showed up. And here's the cycle I got into. And then it's like now being able to like really deconstruct it and break it down. And, and yeah, like have somebody on the outside really help me understand like why these things continue to show up. So yeah, I think having a mentor, having a coach is so important for your personal growth. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so you brought up the word diet culture. Mm. And I know that you've talked about this (laughs) recently on your podcast, Harder to Kill Radio. So let's talk about diet culture. Where do you think women are going wrong with this? Well, the first thing is I want to absolve women of blame here in the sense that a lot of us don't even know. It's like when things are hidden in plain sight and it takes a shift of viewpoint. It takes almost like a changing of your glasses to go, oh, okay, now I see it every, I can't unsee it, you know? Right. And so I think I just want to, again, absolve women of of blame because I think the first knee-jerk reaction is like, oh, how could I have not known? But when it's all around you and it's all you've ever seen, how do you know any different? Especially if you never get the sense that like, you're not like a questioner type of person and you're just kind of like, well, this is just how it is. So I think that's important to mention. And, you know, it really is everywhere and it's very overt and it's also very subtle. I see it on things like sitcoms or in movies where women are, you know, pushing salad around their plates or I hear it. I think I was in target last year looking for a bathing suit or something. And I could hear the discussion going on next to me in the changing room about just women being disgusted with their bodies. And, you know, so I'm like, okay, it's coming at us. And yet it's also coming from us because we've learned it and we've been socialized in this system where, you know, and so the way I kind of define it or I differentiate it is like, look, you can care about food and feeding yourself well and nourishing your body and not be engaging in sort of like these typical diet culture behaviors. 
or you can choose to go on quick fix diets or think that this diet pill is going to help you or whatever. And you may get results short term, but you know, we know that stuff doesn't work. And so, you know, I see it in the obsession with the scale and it's, I always struggle to like explain this well, but if somebody is like truly unhappy with their bodies and like they don't feel good in their body, I get this, but I also didn't feel good in my body and there was absolutely nothing wrong with my body weight. So for me, it took teasing apart my body weight from how I felt on the inside and understanding that when I began to like really nourish myself and do things very differently with food, that the scale might not change. In fact, I gained weight. I gained 20 pounds more or less from the time I first started this to now. And I feel light years better. You know, like I said, I was eating really little. I was exercising a ton. I was an endurance athlete and I was doing triathlons and endurance distance mountain biking and like you, you name it, I was exercising. That was not a problem, but I was really just kind of started to waste away because my nutrition couldn't keep up with the amount of training that I was doing. And so people are always surprised because they hear the story that I tell and they're like, oh, I thought you were going to say that you lost weight. And I was like, no, I've put on 20, I don't even know how much I weigh now, probably about 20 pounds in that time frame, And it's being okay with that and going, okay, if I feel good every day, I wake up every day and I have energy, why am I going to try to micromanage the scale? Is that a battle that you want to fight? And I always kind of say, you know, everything has a cost. And is it, if you are really, 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 really set on hitting a specific body weight, first of all, where did that number come from? A lot of women, when I talk to them, are like, well, that's how much I weighed when I was like 14. <laughs> right. Truly, truly. It's like, that's how much I weighed when I was a teen. Yeah. Now I'm a full grown woman, you know, or I've had babies or whatever it is. So there's that. And was it somebody that told you because you, they were looking at your BMI chart? Well, we know that BMI is problematic for a lot of reasons. Is it something you read in a magazine? Like, where's that coming from? So like, where did that body weight come from that you want to hit? And I see, again, like the scale is one tool. It's not a tool that I think is particularly useful and for most people, most of the time. And it does have such a negative connotation for women and it will ruin so many people's day because it used to ruin my day all the time until I was like, I don't need you anymore. They are not helping me. Like this isn't helpful. And I've had this happen in my community. A woman very, you know, nicely posted sort of her realization the other day, which is like, I woke up, I felt great. I was like feeling good in my body. I had energy, all of this stuff. And then, you know, I felt strong in the gym and then I weighed myself that day and my weight was up a couple pounds. And I was like, is this supposed to make me feel bad now? Like, should I be feeling bad now? And she really had one of those moments where she was realizing that the scale weight wasn't accurately displaying how else she felt. And so I think for women having like a really good heart to heart with themselves about like, is this body weight something I have to hit spot on in order for me to get healthier? And the way I see it, and I know a lot of people don't agree, but I really do believe that when we balance our foundations of health and we provide the right inputs for our body to heal and whatever we're dealing with that in terms of imbalance or dysfunction, that if losing weight is part of that process of getting healthier, then our body will come to the body weight it's, it's going to be. Right. And we have a choice. You know, are we going to micromanage that? And I'll give you an example. So I used to compete in Olympic weightlifting. And my weight category was 69 kilograms. I don't even know exactly how much I weigh right now, but I'm probably about 70, 71 kilograms, somewhere in that range. And so I would, it would be time to prepare for a meet. And I'd say, okay, well now, you know, I normally walk around 70, 71. I've got to lose a few kilos, which is anywhere from five to seven pounds, let's say. And so, yeah, I'd have to go on a program where I was counting my macros and, you know, doing this eight to 12 weeks in advance. So I gave myself enough time and weighing and measuring everything that I was eating. And on that day I weighed in and I made my body weight for my weight class. And there was one time where I continued to go on the maintenance plan. And I was like, why am I doing this? Like, 
I don't want to have to cut weight again. And I actually stopped competing soon after that. But I was like, why am I doing this? Is this worth what's costing me? Is this worth for me the boredom that my food's bringing me right now? And I don't think you have to be wowed and excited and food has to be like Pinterest every day, but I wasn't enjoying my food. It was so bland and boring. And, right. you know, I felt like I can't mix my food together on a plate. It's got to be separated. Like it just, you know, the time and the energy it took me to do that. And I was like, for what to, for four pounds, is it that important to me? And the answer was no. And so that's kind of the, the metric that I give people to figure it out. I'm like, is this worth what it's going to cost you? Because everything has a cost. Right. You want to feel healthier? You want to fix your hormones? It's going to have a cost. Your time, your attention, your focus, your caring about yourself, maybe money involved. I mean, you're, everything has a cost. But if you don't work on that thing, that has a cost as well. Quality of life. Right how you feel every day, your ability to participate and be with your family, perhaps longevity. So we have to weigh these things for ourselves. And I just feel like diet culture completely erases that conversation. And it's not about nourishment. It's about how tiny can we make ourselves. Diet culture is never about feeling good in our bodies and being okay with who we are at this moment. It's that there's always something that we have to fix and it is never ending. Agreed. And it's exhausting. Yeah. So exhausting. Yeah. Hearing it, seeing it all the time. And I think so much of it too, is just is learned behavior. Mm -hmm. I know that I didn't grow up in a household where like I heard my mother or even my aunts or cousins or anybody talk nicely about their bodies. Nobody did in my family. Everyone was always like picking apart their body or saying they needed to lose weight or something. There was always something. So there was, you know, definitely a learned behavior there. And I think that that's the case for so many women too, is that they didn't grow up in a household where they had this positive body image either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think it's the same as sticking your head in the sand and going, well, for example, my blood sugar is really not great. Right. Oh, well, like I should just love myself how I am. Like, I think there's, yeah, there's a really <laughs> important distinction to be made there where it's like, I'm going to work on this thing about, you know, actually getting healthier and feeling better every day. Cause if yes. let's say I, you know, have hypoglycemia, which is kind of where I was at, where I would have this, these reactive hypoglycemic episodes, I'm like passed out in my classroom and all this stuff. Cause I needed to eat, which actually did happen to me. That's very different from saying like picking apart, poking at your body and be like, look how fat I look in this or, of course, you know, it's totally different. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I work with, you know, so many women who have like 50, 60, 70 plus pounds to lose. They're on high blood pressure meds, cholesterol meds, you know, all of that. And of course they're in an unhealthy state. So of course I can understand that wanting to lose the weight, wanting to get healthier. But on the flip side, you know, women who come to me that are like, you know, I just want to let go of these last five pounds. And it's like, okay, but do you have to lose the weight? Because you really don't, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a different conversation. Absolutely. So I love that on your website, you had mentioned that one of the most common questions you used to get asked was, is this paleo? Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> You've now stopped answering that question and even asking yourself that question. Mm-hmm. But I'm just curious to hear about how you've evolved with your diet to really let go of, you know, having to hold on to like the principles of paleo and like, I guess, kind of finding your own. Yeah, absolutely. So I will say we're about three weeks away from a complete rebrand where I'm actually, you know, we're letting go of stupid easy paleo and going to be focusing more on a bio-individual approach to nutrition. Awesome. There's still real whole nutrient-dense foods, but there's a broader conversation there, which is which foods work for me, which foods are going to work for my goals, my bio-individuality, the way my body works, my culture, my heritage, my preferences. And I think that's a really important conversation to have. So paleo for me was extremely helpful in the beginning because like I told you earlier, I was coming from this like really rigid, really restrictive way of eating. And I know a lot of people are like, well, paleo is restrictive too. And it is in some ways, but it also was like focusing more on the nutrient dense foods that I was not eating. So for me, it gave me a shot at feeling more energized. You know, my digestion was a wreck. Like I was 
getting bloated every time I ate. I had weird acne on my back, adult acne. And, you know, like I said, energy levels were all over the place, completely hangry all the time. And so for me, eating that way was really helpful because it was clear I needed direction and I needed guidance because the only thing I knew was like 100 calorie snack packs and processed grain, carbohydrates and grain-based foods and, you know, not really nutrient-dense stuff when you looked at it. So it helped me to say, focus on these foods and like, forget about these for a little bit. But over time, and it didn't take that long, I figured out, you know, I had to kind of customize this for, at the time I was still doing some triathlon training. So I needed way more carbohydrate than a lot of people were talking about in terms of paleo, because everybody's like, eat really low carb. So that was something I had to add in protein powders, something I continue to use, especially when I was training super, super hard. Now I was using like a soy-based protein before. So I definitely switched and I stopped getting really bloated. That was one of the things that was actually making my stomach absolutely crazy. You know, so from a pretty early stage, I started to customize things. And then I was like, hey, does this work for my body? And that's the most important question I want people to ask. Everybody loves to argue in the, in the paleo community about potatoes. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay. It's a vegetable, like for all intents and purposes, right? It comes right. from a plant. It comes, it's a plant food. It comes from the ground. It is an unprocessed food. You can take it out of the ground and bake it and put some grass fed butter on it. And if you're not sensitive to nightshades and you don't have blood sugar regulation issues, or after you eat a potato, you don't want to fall asleep an hour later, then it's probably okay for you to eat a potato. Right. If we're eating French fries every day or chips every day, I don't know. Let's think about that. Were they fried in? Like, let's have that conversation. But I think for the most part, a lot of people have taken paleo to the extreme, which is sort of like, you can never eat these foods ever again. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Even early on in sort of the paleo discussion, people were like, well, but like there we have these ancestral populations here right? and we have these ancestral populations here and we have these populations here and they all eat differently. So is there one correct diet? No, there are multiple ways of doing things. What do these different ancestral populations have in common? What do these more unprocessed, closer to the earth types of ways of eating have in common? They're unprocessed, like, you know, all these things that we know, but people like to argue about things and be super dogmatic. And so the question that I ask is sort of like, again, not is this food right, but is this food right for me or someone else? Now more than ever, women, I really think we're bearing the brunt of autoimmune disease and hormonal stuff because of a lot of different reasons, but women are finding out every day, like, hey, I have autoimmunity or I need to reduce the inflammatory foods in my diet, or, you know, this particular food doesn't really work for me because my digestion needs support right now. But am I just going to remove the food or am I going to understand what's going on underneath that? The fact that like maybe I'm zinc deficient and I was on hormonal birth control for a lot of years and my gut bacteria is counteract and I need some support with getting some zinc into my diet so I can make hydrochloric acid to digest the protein that I eat. I mean, totally. And I know not everybody wants to do that. And they're like, I just want to feel better. So what are the really kind of simple frameworks that we can present? A balance of macronutrients, eat a lot of plants. I always give people like a visual plate, make half your plate vegetables. I mean, right? why are we making it so hard for people? And yes, there are different protocols, especially, you know, we know like higher fat keto can work for some people for a short time, but it's like, these things are tools. And I think we have to understand for everyday people, and I am one of them, a balance of things in a more moderate approach is typically going to work a lot better for a majority of people that I've ever come into contact with. And there are certainly exceptions to that, but I think we get really sucked into the fancy things, the things that are popular. And people are like, oh, like this guy at my gym, I hear this all the time. This guy at my gym does CrossFit and he just started doing keto. And these are women, should I do keto? And I'm like, this is a complete mismatch. <laughs> totally. These things are have validity on their own, but we just don't want to mix them together because they're at odds with each other. And so having good sources of information for people is really important. But I think I'm tired of arguing with people about whether or not like... <laughs> foods are paleo or, and you get into a point where the label becomes really restrictive because what if somebody is primarily 
vegetarian, but then they want to add in other foods. And then they were like, well, I was part of the vegetarian. And I'll, you know, this is like an opposite example of paleo, but I was in the vegetarian culture, but now because I eat this animal food, like, am I still this? Like, what does this mean for me? And instead of just worrying about what makes sense for our bodies, we get really worried about the label and like the culture that's associated with that label and how, you know, do we fit in the box or not? And it, I just find over time, there's not as much benefit and there's a lot more drawback. Yeah, absolutely. I would totally agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> so I bet that there's a lot of women who follow you on social media and they are like, okay, Steph has like got her shit together. She's mm. training, she's eating well. Mm-hmm. You know, how does she run her business? Like how is she doing it all? And so, you know, I'm curious like what your schedule looks like, but more than that, really, what are the non-negotiables in your life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. My focus comes and goes. And I think that's important to tell people, like it's really hard to nail everything all the time. And there is this perception or pressure that people feel like I have to do everything perfectly. I'll tell you this summer, it was freaking hot in our house. I was editing my book and I was like, you know what? I'm not cooking right now. Like I, I refuse to cook. We ate out more. We ordered more food and we tried to stick to healthier options in our area. We used a meal planning service a few times here and there. Cause I was like, you know, where they deliver the food and it's either completely cooked and we have an awesome one in town that does like really healthy meals or, you know, you get a box and you get the ingredients and you just cook it. I was like, I refuse. I am not cooking right now. I do not have the energy to do this. And so I cut back on my normal meal prep and I cut back on, you know, I love making my own ferments and kvass and like all sorts of stuff. And I didn't, I didn't make a darn thing this summer. I was like, I'm over it. So I think, you know, I'm going to buy sauerkraut this week from the farmer's market. Fine. Like, so be it. <laughs> you know, so something has to give and making sure that we're eating well, I'd say 80% of the time is really important. So we do make an effort, even if like I run down to the corner restaurant, you know, that they have something like salmon on a really nice salad and, you know, you look for better options. So I think that's one non-negotiable, really, really non-negotiable is got to get eight hours of sleep. Absolutely. So I'm really a stickler for the bedtime routine and making sure that we're usually lights out by 10 o'clock at the latest, try to go a little bit earlier than that. So that's a super important one because if I'm not rested, then I can't focus and nothing gets done. I hear you. So that's a big one. Yes, trying to be active probably f- at least five days a week. My schedule varies. I usually do jujitsu three mornings a week and then do strength training two or three sessions a week, but they're short, right? So when I go to the gym, you know, I'm not going and lifting every day at the gym for two and a half hours. I'm trying to go in, I'm doing three movements at a time. And for me right now, if I squat, deadlift, press, do some pull-ups and push-ups and, you know, some other random stuff. But if I can do all those things once a week, I'm happy. Like what's the the least amount of time I can get for the most benefit. Right. Cause I've got other, other things to do. So that's really important for me as well to just move around and make sure that I feel good. That kind of covers the basics. I'm still working on right now, figuring out what my time for myself looks like every day and it varies. And sometimes I do stuff at night where I'm doing some journaling. Sometimes I do it in the morning, but I do try to take some time for myself just to be quiet and sit and have that time. And usually it involves some kind of writing or some kind of like Oracle cards or something where (laughs) you love it. Just using that for some self-reflection really. So that's, that's something that I'm working on. But yeah, I think for me, those are some of the anchors in my life. And, you know, we try to get outside every day, take a walk. It's just little stuff. Those things for me help me to feel like I have enough energy to do my job well. That's great. I love that. And so you mentioned strength training and weightlifting, and Mm -hmm. I feel that that can often be very intimidating for a lot of women. Mm -hmm what would be your tips and suggestions for women who want to get started in weight training? I really do. And so I've, I've been in the kind of CrossFit strength training world now since 2010, and I've been coaching since 2015 in Olympic weightlifting. 
I really do feel that going to a place that you can go to in person and learn from someone, it doesn't have to be a personal trainer that you're you know, paying a lot of money for. It could be a gym that has a class that you like that weights are involved. It could be you have a friend who's really knowledgeable and you go to the gym with them and they show you the ropes, but really someone who can help you. I know that a lot of people want to be independent and they want to do things at home or they just don't like the gym environment because I do understand for a lot of people, it's not this just that they feel uncomfortable, it's that they feel unsafe. And a lot of gym environments, especially women, gender non-conforming individuals as well, can often feel like the gym is a very masculine, unsafe place. Like not even just, I don't know where the weights are, but like, I really feel like I could come to harm here. And I know that's hard for some people to understand because we're just like, I love my gym and my community is so great and helpful, but that is a reality for a lot of people. So I feel like either finding a place that has a class that you really like, you could look for like a small group coaching session. So maybe you and a friend or two are like, yeah, we want to go and hire this person to be our trainer for even like four weeks or something short where you can learn the basics and then you can go in whatever environment helps you feel most comfortable. But for a lot of people, they're afraid of getting hurt. And this is the other thing that, oh my goodness, this is one of my biggest pet peeves on the planet. And more than women saying, I'm going to get bulky is when other people, a woman's like, you know, I was thinking about joining a gym or I was thinking about joining this weightlifting class. And people always say, don't get hurt. And it makes me so mad because we never say that to men. It's so true. We don't, oh, be careful. You're going to get hurt. To me, it's so patronizing. And this is part of the whole like diet culture, keep yourself small thing. And women say it to other women too, which absolutely makes me crazy. And I'm like, look, if you can push out a 10 pound baby, (laughs) not that everybody will. Right. If your body can birth an eight to 10 pound child, I think you can lift anything that you want. We're not fragile. And I think that there is this idea that women are incredibly fragile. And I'm like, I can show you a thousand examples of women that are lifting some weights that would blow your mind. Totally. I know everybody is not going to be at that point, but to be able to move your body through space every day, to be able to open your own pickle jar, to be able to carry all your groceries in one trip, to be (laughs) able to carry the 50 pound bag of cat litter, to be able to get up and down off the floor by yourself without using your hands. I mean, to just feel like you have ownership and you have autonomy over your own body is so important and women don't have that. And so I really do feel like sometimes we do need that support though. We do need a friend. We need a coach. We need somebody who can help us through those times where we feel really unsure and reassure us because society has told us that we have to be unsure. Like we have to be scared. And there are some places that focus more on teaching women, but I really feel like if you're then going to want to go into a mixed gym setting that going to a female only facility may not be the best choice depending on what you want to do. Because if you do have to go into like a 24 hour fitness and there's all these dude bros over using, you know, the, all the weights, like, are you going to kind of have that confidence to go up and just get the weights you need? I don't know. I mean, again, different options for different people, right? but just keep in mind that, you know, I think just asking questions, seeing if the class you want to go to or the gym you want to visit has a program for beginners or they're willing to do that, they're interested in what your goals are. I think that's all really, really important. And the other thing is just like start in your house right now, do some air squats, right? Go up against the countertop and do some push-ups. If you can't do a plank position on the floor quite yet, you don't have to have a gym environment to just start moving. And I think that that's one way to break the friction for people is just like, just start right now. What can you do at home? I oftentimes work out on my front porch and I just have a few kettlebells. Right. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I always have kettlebells on hand at home and Mm -hmm. bands. And, you know, if I can't make it to the gym, it's like, at least I've got something here Mm -hmm. and like a quick workout. So yeah, those are really great tips. Awesome. Thank you for that. Yeah. So before I let you go, I noticed on your site, you had this awesome, the fuck it list. (laughs) Not the bucket list. And I love this. 
a list of things you never want to do. And I would love for the women listening to create their own list. Yeah. And I'd love it if you could share with us what this list looks like for you. Yeah. So I got this idea. I didn't coin the term, the fuck it list, but I kept thinking, you know, everybody has a bucket list, which is sort of the things you want to do before you kick the bucket. And I was like, what are the things I never want to do again? And I think this for me, as I'm approaching 40, which will be next year, something is like switching in my brain where I'm just kind of like, I'm who I am and I don't want to do a bunch of stuff I don't like to do. And not that I'm not open to new things or learning about things, but there is also this aspect of, I think Gretchen Rubin, one of her rules of life is like, be more Gretchen, which is just like, I am who I am. And there are certain things about me that probably won't change a whole lot. And I'm okay with that. So I think there's always this like FOMO sense of like, I'm going to miss out on all these amazing things. And a lot of women feel a lot of pressure that they need to like do and be everything. And for me, the opposite term is kind of like the joy of missing out. So I'm like, okay, what am I going to feel joyous if I miss out on? And I'm totally fine with never doing as a way to honor who I am and a way to also like just take some options off the table as like things I don't need to pressure myself about. So I think one of mine was like, I'm never jumping out of a perfectly functioning airplane. (laughs) Neither. (laughs) I know people are like, skydiving is the best. Like I never thought I'd like it. And I'm like, no, I just, I'm definitely afraid of heights. And I'm just so not interested in skydiving. And I'm okay with that. Like, yay, I can let go of that. So there's a bunch of other things on the list. And I think I'm like mentally adding to it all the time. For sure. I love this idea for people to just sort of declare the opposite, which is like, the things they're letting go of great in their lives and the things that they're okay with not doing because those are both parts of our personalities. And I think the more we can honor that about ourselves, just the more like authentically ourselves that we can be. I love that. I'm definitely going to go create my own, my own fuck it list. Definitely. Yeah. And I encourage the women listening to do the same. So what are some of the things that you're currently working on? You mentioned rebranding a mm. site and editing a book. Mm-hmm. Yes, just a few things going on right now. But yeah, so we're rebranding the website and everything, everything. So completely shifting the brand. So the brand will just be stephgodro.com in the website. Everything's going to be redirected, but we have a completely new look. We're going to have a way better functioning website. And that's going to be coming online in the next few weeks. And then I have a book coming out next year. Next, I will say summer-ish. We don't have, the date keeps shifting a little bit here and there, but let's just say next summer with Harper One. So I have a book coming out and I'm really excited about it. It's basically going to be expanding on the four pillars and bringing that to the world in a larger format. So I'm really excited about that. And then other than that, we're just kind of going to make it through the holidays, I feel like, and see what 2019 has to offer, at least in the beginning part of the year, but uh, I'll be relaunching my harder to kill challenge and have more groups going through that next year. And all the other things that we do, the podcast and all that stuff is still around. That's awesome. And I have your other book, the performance paleo cookbook. Yeah. And it is loaded with amazing recipes. And I love when there's a cookbook that actually has images of the Mm. recipes. It's so good. So you've done a really great job on that. And I'm excited for your new upcoming book. Thank you. And where can people find you? Where can they hang out with you online? I would love to invite people to join the Harder to Kill Club, which is my closed group on Facebook. It's the place where we're we're having conversations and community. So that's on Facebook, obviously. And then the website, for now, you can still type in stupideasypaleo.com even after we drop the new site and it'll redirect automatically. So that one's probably the most easy for people to spell and remember right now. (laughs) So stupideasypaleo.com. And then Instagram is kind of my other favorite place to hang out. So I'm there at Steph Godreau. Amazing. Well, we will link all of this up in our show notes. And thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your advice and your insights. It was great to have you. Thanks so much. Awesome. Take care. 
What a great episode with Steph Godreau. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. Go follow Steph over on Instagram. You can follow her at Steph underscore Godreau. And you can also find her on her website, stupideasypaleo.com. We will link up everything in our show notes to her Harder to Kill Challenge, as well as some of the books that she mentioned from Brene Brown and Gretchen Rubin. You can find that on the show notes at holisticwellness.ca forward slash episode 33. Thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you want to continue this conversation, find me over on Instagram at holisticwellnessfoodie, and we can continue the conversation there. And for all the ladies that are listening who are struggling with thyroid issues, hypothyroidism, and autoimmune Hashimoto's, the registration is currently open for our Healing and Dealing with Hashimoto's online program. You can head on over to healinghashies.com to check that out. Thanks everyone. Chat with you next week.